Before every episode this season, we are providing specific calls to action to encourage our listeners to fight against police brutality and systemic racism. This week, we want to spotlight Beyond the Bars, a 501c3 student-driven music and career skills program that is dedicated to interrupting the cycles of violence and incarceration while helping students recognize their immense potential and bright futures. The prison system and policing in America perpetuate a cycle of violence that disproportionately affects black and brown people, particularly those in poor or segregated communities. Too often, young people become victims caught up in the prison system due to over-policing, racial profiling, lack of stability, and resources. As co-executive director Matthew Kerr said in an interview with The Key, schools fail because communities fail. Communities fail because schools fail, and they both fail because society failed them by taking away their resources. It's neither one's fault. The resources have been taken away. What we're trying to do is take those resources back and get them back to where they're supposed to be. We're working together to try and provide what's an essential human need. Monetary donations to Beyond the Bars can be made through their website at beyondthebarsmusic.org slash donate. We'll also have a link to that in the show notes to this episode. If you are interested in donating any musical equipment, you can email them at donations at beyondthebarsmusic.org. Beyond the Bars is also always looking for new volunteers with or without musical knowledge or experience. If you are interested in volunteering, you can send them an email to volunteer at beyondthebarsmusic.org. Every single episode. <laughs> every time, every time I hit record, it's like CPU overload. And I'm like, there is nothing happening. Yeah. There is nothing else on the screen. There is one audio track. Lauren, if that is not a metaphor for anxiety, then I have never heard <laughs> a metaphor for anxiety. <laughs> I haven't done anything yet, but I'm fucking stressed. <laughs> My brain is going into CPU overload. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Lauren. We play together in the band Coping Skills, which these days um, means that we have music that we made at a time and are now this instead. Yeah, let's just like imagine like, uh, quote, we, we, we quote play in the quote band. <laughs> quote coping skills. <laughs> quote coping skills, <laughs> which really means... Um, we record a podcast called More Talk Less Rock, and that is the form that Coping Skills has taken right now. And that's okay. This feels like playing to me. Yeah, I mean, it's all the same. Nothing has changed, really. Except everything. Except everything. Um, everything and nothing. You love to see it. This, this is More Talk, talk Less Rock. rock. Pierce Jordan is a person who, from a young age, by his own definition, would not be stopped. His drive to play music growing up seems visceral in retrospect. He had an instinct for seeking out the resources he needed to support that desire, consistently finding instruments to play on, people to play with, and places to play at. He took what he learned and moved to Philadelphia after high school to continue playing music. 
He's performed in a bunch of bands since and currently fronts the hardcore experimental punk band Soul Glow. Pierce also advocates that punk is about much more than just playing music. For the past five years, he's been sharing the skills he's learned through playing music with students at Beyond the Bars, the organization in Philly we mentioned at the top of the episode. Thank you, Pierce, for joining us um, and for taking the time to talk to us. Would you uh, tell us a little bit about your first experiences playing music? Yes. Um, My first experience playing music uh, (laughs) were at, I mean, outside of school, I guess, right? Um, We're at this uh, church. It was basically a church. It was like a facility on church grounds, right? And they would have local shows, all these bands from, uh, like, the county that I lived in because there was, like, you know, we had, like, a a bunch of different, um, what's the word, Uh, like, towns in that county, but they're all so small and ineffectual that we just go by the whole county. So it was, like, everybody from all over the county who had their, who had, like, a little band or whatever would talk to, like, the the people who were promoting the shows and shit. And, uh... We, it was called All Saints Episcopal Church, and that's where that's where the shows would happen. So we would be like, you know, it's like the All Saints shows is what we would call them. Um, and yeah, when I was in middle school, was when that shit first started popping off, or at least when I became aware of it. Um, and there were like two kids in my neighborhood who were playing who who like play were like playing guitar and drums together and I rode the bus with them and like you know we were like kind of friends <laughs> like we were like we were friends we were friends right but we weren't like always nice to each other like the way that like the way that boys can be when they're growing up so it was like I don't yeah, know especially sometimes. in middle school yeah, yeah it also seems like a relatable experience with people that you ride the bus with right it's like I don't sometimes I wonder I'm like did I really have friends uh, but, <laughs> but, like, by, like by the standards that I define friendship now I'm like man I don't know um, but yeah so they were play- they were like hanging out and just like playing guitar and drums together every day and you know I just wanted to be a part of that really so I was like yo like you know what I'm saying let me chill let me hang out I got you know I got like got my little death metal growl I could, I could you know and they were like man I don't know <laughs> they were, there, and I was just like, well, y'all don't have a bass player, right? Because I knew I wasn't about to learn no guitar. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, y'all, just like in my heart, I already knew that. And I was just like, y'all don't have no bass player, right? Like, you know, if I got a bass, like, would I, you know what I'm saying? Could I, like, chill with y'all and hang with y'all and, like, jam with y'all? And they were like, if you get a bass. <laughs> so, you know, after a, after a lot of pleading, I got one, like, from my parents. This was after they were like, we're not gonna get you like an actual drum set they wanted to be supportive they got me like this little toy facsimile of like an electronic drum pad broke the shit out of that shit beat that shit to hell like (laughs) (laughs) utterly destroyed it like played that shit like i was actually playing drums um and yeah i broke that shit and they were like all right well that's that then (laughs) and so like a little bit later i was like able to i was able to convince them to buy me a bass for christmas i got that and then i was like yo we out you know what i'm saying started started the band um (laughs) and you know we got our little band together we were called victims of society you know three suburban kids and hell uh, yeah (laughs) and uh 
you know, just started <laughs> just started trying to figure out how we could play the All Saints shows, and eventually we got one. And like you know, from from there on, I was hooked. You know, that's basically it. <laughs> like they had shows at like other church like facilities in other parts of the county as well. And then just like I started to learn about you know other shows happening in. In, uh, in like other parts of Maryland because I was probably at this time maybe 15 14 or 15 so I was like really trying to see if that was possible because I was going to be getting my learner's permit soon you know what I mean so I was like maybe maybe I can maybe we can drive out there something like that um like and like I was just like I was just really all about the shits like pretty much from jump like after the first show I was like this is like I, I want I, I, I want to do this like I thought I wanted to do it after I saw Prince live but I didn't know for sure until I did it and I did it and oh, I was shit. like yeah this is what I want to do this is what I want to be doing when did you see Prince live? I saw Prince when I was in 5th grade at the MCI Center which is Whoa. now the um, I think the Verizon Center in DC it's like an arena? yeah 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 it was when he put it was during his uh, musicology album fire amazing performance that rules you played Purple Rain as his last encore changed my fucking life yeah <laughs> changed my entire life and taught me told me that I needed to be playing music that performance and then yeah. from oh, then yeah. on it was just a lot of pain and mistakes and small triumphs <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> just, just like life <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you grew up in a similar area to me where, like, where I grew up, the closest place I could see a show was 20 minutes away at a movie theater. And then wow. beyond that, I would have to drive, like, 40 minutes or something to a DIY space or, like, an hour to go to Binghamton at a VFW hall. Mm -hmm. And, like, was that kind of what you mean by reaching out beyond the All Saints shows? Yeah, basically, like, there were, I knew about shows happening in Baltimore, but Baltimore was an hour, was an hour away. And like, it involved so much highway that I was not comfortable driving at that time. Um, right, yeah. And then there was DC, which is about 40 minutes away. Um, but I didn't know as much about the DC scene until I got into like high school. And I started like meeting people from like Northern Virginia. Like I, I met everybody, um, from like from the bands Ostraka and Gift from God, I met them like my sophomore year of high school because oh, like shit. yeah because they were they were doing shows in Northern Virginia probably like where they are and like the geography of like the DMV area is like kind of funny because basically where they are is actually north of where I'm from, but it's Virginia, oh. right? So yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I would have to, yeah. I would, yeah, so I would drive we would drive to their shows and they would come to ours in Calvert County. And that's how that's how we became friends, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was really cool. I, and like I just like from then on, I just like started getting like really into MySpace and like looking up bands on MySpace and seeing if they would ever come to play in my town. Um, Big time, because deadass, there was like in high school it became like a very serious thing to me because like all like everybody I knew, including me, was like getting into drugs at that time. But, like, a lot of people around me were doing, like, pills and shit. And I was, like, mm -hmm. not really with that shit. I was just trying to only smoke weed. And, like, I felt like, you know, there was, like, it, there was pretty much, like, for anybody who didn't want to play sports in my town, there was pretty much just a one-way trip to being a drug addict. Like, honestly. Did you like, grow up in a pretty small town? Yeah, small and rural. So there was, like, there yeah. was nothing to yeah. do. There was no fucking, there was no, like, there's no, like, really any, like, youth programs at all, like. 
for especially for like arts. It's like if you're not if you if you are not trying to play sports, there's really nothing for you. Yeah, I had a, a really similar experience where I grew up. Like they would so my middle school and my high school were I don't know, like like the football field was between them and a, and a baseball field, but they were that close and then right outside of the um middle school was what was called or you know, a curry donuts. Is that a chain that's familiar for anybody here? Curry donuts. <laughs> no, sounds, sounds fire <laughs> okay. though. Curry donuts. It's a very regional yeah. chain. But My that's where favorites. kids would go to like 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 it was a corner where it was just assumed that kids who were there were doing drugs, like right outside of the school. Sure. And it's like there was there was nothing if you weren't playing sports, like that was the other assumed path for you too. And sometimes you were just, you know, you were an overachiever and doing both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like when you, I feel like, you know, rural towns often have like the fucking, just this, this mind, this just this mindset of, of like very American <laughs> life where Big what time. else would a kid do besides play sports or like go to the mall an hour away? But I'm like, I don't got no fucking money or a job. Like, why would I go to the mall <laughs> an hour away? <laughs> like, what is the point of that? But yeah. Yeah. what's up with these but movie But there was nothing else shows? to do in your town. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I want to hear about these movie theater shows real quick, though. Were they, like, in the lobby or in, like... <laughs> okay, so um, I grew up in a small, small town called Tunkhannock, and 20 minutes north of Tunkhannock was Montrose. Uh-huh. Um, and the Montrose movie theater, it was, like, a really small lobby, but then you go, and there's... I think there was only one theater. Like, it was a one-room theater. And you go in... And then bands would play on the stage where the projection screen was and people would stand like in front of the stage where the screen was and watch the shows. I love it. Yeah. I fucking love it. My friend Kate at the time was the person who was throwing shows there. I don't even remember how I originally met her because she was older than me. And like, I think like I was in high school. I think she was already out of high school. And I started just like helping her throw shows there. Wow. I love it. That's that's, that's so sick. fucking sick. Yeah, we had <laughs> we had a roller skating rink that did shows. We had that's two sick. two like church facilities that would sometimes do shows. It was all Saints in this other place called Cedar Grove. And the Cedar Grove shows were lit because they didn't give a fuck what you did in there. Like like some of the most violent moshpits I've ever been in my life. But we're in that shit. Like <laughs> um and what was the other place before we started doing the DIY shit. It was, um, oh, fuck. The Red Hot and Blue. <laughs> the what? What is yeah. that? So, so, yeah, y'all know the chain Red Hot and Blue, right? Like, No. Oh, fuck. Okay, so Red Hot and Blue is like this barbecue chain. Um, is it like a mission barbecue kind of thing? I, I feel like, yeah. I feel it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like Applebee's kind of, but it's only barbecue. Is it like th- the troops themed? Or like um, like America themed. No, honestly, it's Deep South themed. Okay, <laughs> but, okay. that that, that tracks. Yeah. Okay. So like, yeah, they would have shows in this Deep South themed restaurant, but I was never allowed to go to them because they started at ten, and you could only like because like, because they, they 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 could only have them once they closed. But what I heard they did <laughs> was put the tables together. And the bands would put their shit on the table. No fucking way. 
and stand There's on no the table. There's no way those tables could what? support that shit. And that was, and yeah, and that was the stage. <laughs> Which is like, yo, who the fuck let that happen? Because <laughs> they, they are a god. Some, like, really good liability I just, insurance. I like, I was like an eight ten did not fall on somebody. Yo, I'm like, yo, whoever let that shit happen was a god. Like, yeah. <laughs> like for real. Like that's. I, I was. I always wanted to go to that because go to those shows because there was this band um, called Rise from Ruin that was basically Job for a Cowboy. It just ripped off Job for a Cowboy riffs. Um, but they were like the only metal band like that was like from my town and all I listened to at that time was metal so I was like you know I'm trying to see every show they play um, and they played a lot of the Red Hot and Blue shows but you know my, my parents are fucking authoritarian so you know <laughs> they were not about oh, to let yeah. me out at no 10pm <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> to hang out yeah. in a closed restaurant <laughs> Or some some amps could fall on you yeah, at any time. Yeah, I mean, like, no, that was <laughs> like they didn't. I feel like they were cool. They were they were cool with me playing music and like so, and like supportive. It was just like to an extent, really. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, what, yeah. and just like what a lot of my friends were allowed to do, I was not allowed to do. Like, military and government parents. That's what happens. You know. Right. Yeah. Well, so did you? When did you start playing drums for real? Then I started playing drums for real probably when I was like 15. Um, my friend Lawrence at the time just had just gotten a new drum set and he was playing, he had learned how to play drums in church and he got, and he had convinced his parents to get him a nice ass fucking Mapex set that he probably still has. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and he, and he gave me his old shit. So I'm like forever indebted to him for that. Cause I, I basically like, this was after, you know, after it was long decided that I was not going to have a drum set. So there was like a two hour window when I got home from school or me and my, my, my sisters got home from school, uh, before my parents got home. And that was when I was like playing drums in my room and like, like when I was like supposed to be doing my homework. And then like when they, when they would get home, I would start doing my homework and just be like, damn, what the shit's hard as hell. I'm stuck. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm still doing it. Like, so yeah, I would, I, and I was basically like hiding my drum set in my closet like I, I knew I had basically from like two forty five until about four forty. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Before and then I had, you had to take it apart, put it in the closet, and get yeah. to your homework. Exactly, and make it look like I've been yeah. doing my homework the whole time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, did they not know you had? Did they the be- like, did they believe you? They didn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> they, they, I got, I got away with it for, like, I feel like a solid like two, three months. Uh, so I started to get kind of good, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like just long enough where you're like, you can't take this from me now. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I'm, and I'm like still playing on like, you know, broken ass, trash ass symbols. And like, you know, like it is just like all of Lawrence's falling apart, beating up ass shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah. And I was just like, at that point I, I was like, I remember this so, spe- so, so specifically, like, I, I was teaching myself Dr. Dog songs, The Killers songs, and 1994 songs. Those were like the three the three modes of difficulty. <laughs> I was going to say, like, it's not even like you started with all the really easy shit. You like went yeah. pretty quick. Yeah, I was just, I mean, it's just like, once I thought like once I got the coordination down, it was just about, you know, trying to replicate the sounds that she was hearing, you know what I mean? So it was like, yeah, yeah. so I remember <laughs> just one day my mom came home early. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, 
I'm playing. I'm playing hard as shit. Like I'm like I'm like drenched in sweat, just really fucking letting it out. And like I put, I would also put my mattress in front of my door so that it would muffle the sound. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just like playing hard as shit, and I see like the mattress in front of the door to my room like moving, and I'm like, oh shit. And it like falls down and the door opens and my mom is just like standing there like, and I'm like, it's like, it's like dripping in sweat. Like, you know that, you know that, that meme of like Diddy having that stare off with that guy? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what that was like. It's like, it's like, I was Diddy just like, my mom was like, <laughs> like I definitely caught your ass. And I'm like, fuck. She's like, you can't lie your way out of this. <laughs> and she was just like, so you were just going to find a way to get a drum set, huh? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and that was it. That was the whole conversation. So I, was I mean, like, what more needed to be said? Like, she didn't, she didn't like take it away from you. She was just like, mm. like you clearly care about this, and apparently you've been doing this this whole time, and your grades have not suffered. So I guess it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. I mean, sometimes that is what it takes. You know, you got to just like find your way and prove that you can do it, and it's gonna be fine. Yeah, I would not be stopped. <laughs> I could not be stopped. Yeah. Um. But, uh, yeah. I uh. I want to go back a little bit to something you said earlier about like when you had picked up the bass because you like did not want to play the guitar. Oh, yeah. Because um, I think we like definitely think of you as like a multi-instrumentalist kind of person because, you know, like you sing in Soglo and you, you know, have played bass and drums in other bands. Yeah. What like what was it about the guitar that you didn't? vibe with it's just too many fucking strings and it's too small every time i've like held one it's like <laughs> it's like, <I'm> just, <laughs> i never like it's like i held i feel like i definitely held a guitar before i ever thought about playing bass and i was just like no like just just no <laughs> like it just yeah. it felt unnatural yeah. still feels unnatural like it's it's hard i don't know how people do it to be honest with you i don't know how people bigger than me with bigger hands than me do it it makes no sense I don't know what's yeah. wrong with me. There's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> anything wrong with you. I mean, like I kind of identify a little bit with that, like, uh, like that rhythm section, like energy that just like f- feels better exactly. than like than the guitar. Exactly the feel. And also, I felt like there. I always felt like there's just like enough guitar players in the world. And like I don't know, like my my dad raised me on this artist Stanley Clark. And like, mm-hmm. it's it's honestly really weird and funny that he is from Philadelphia, and I ended up moving moving to Philadelphia to play music because that none of it was really planned like that. But then I think about how like this artist that I raised that I was raised on is a bass player from Philadelphia, and now here I am a bass player in Philadelphia. Like, <laughs> it's it, it feels mad weird, but I also but it was like yeah, I wanted I wanted. You know, I felt like I I understood his music a lot better than really anything else, and like you know, you never see bass players as band leaders, and like being like the primary instrument in in like a song. So like that was just always something that I really like fucked with and like wanted to see more of in music, just like sure. more music, mm-hmm. like more like rock music or like music like rock or funk music or whatever like that has like the guitar, bass, drums, you know keyboard maybe set up 
but like not centered around guitar vocals because I think that's just like a very underexplored uh, like route in terms of that shit. But I don't know. What do I know? Well, if if not for um, Stanley Clark bringing you here to play music um, consciously, then what did bring you here to play music? Um, the need to move out of my parents' house when I turned 18 and mm-hmm. my lack of a desire to really have any kind of focus in college because I didn't even want to go to college. I never wanted to go to college, actually. Um, I didn't feel like, like, that's a lie. I did want to go to college when I wanted, when I thought I wanted to go to music school. Like that was, mm-hmm. that was when I, that was when I was like most interested in college. But even then it, I didn't, it didn't really make sense to me. Like I was like, I don't feel like, you know, it's an accident. It's an accident that so many people who, you know, are doing the things that I admire in the music industry never really had even a formal education in music. So right. I didn't really know what that was going to mean for me in terms of making my schooling, like my whole school experience, which, which for, you know, the past fucking 13 years of my life had been all these different disciplines that I did not give a shit about. Like, and then like, or like things that I just like had to apply to my life because it's just, you just have to like history shit and shit like that. But like, I really just, like, my parents were like, you're going to college. You're not going to not go to college. You are black. This is America. You have to go to college. And I was like, okay. But, so I went, <laughs> and um, I was like, you know, I my main thing was, like, I didn't want to live in Calvert County anymore. I couldn't live in Calvert County anymore. That place was fucking suffocating me at that point. And none of my friends, who I had grown really close to, really, were interested in leaving Calvert County or didn't have a means, really, to do so. Um, or didn't have immediate plans to do so. They were they were all like, "I'm just gonna wait a little bit, wait till I get some money saved up, da da da. Wait, wait, wait until something happens, and then I'll leave." And none of them ever fucking left. And you know, it re- I, it, I realized also at that time that they didn't really prioritize music the same way that I did. Like, yeah, it was it was like fun for them, just like it was fun for me. But I don't think it was like. <laughs> like life and death like it feels like for me sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. so it was just like you know I couldn't live in Calvert County anymore but I really really was not trying to move somewhere where I didn't know anybody and like that was like a paralyzing fear for me at the time um, and like you know my friend Peter was like applying to Temple and thinking about moving to Philly. And we, you know, at that time, Philly was like really starting to hit with like the emo revival and stuff like that. Like, you know, Balgenon and all of them. So I, and I was like, well, if there's one place I know I can play music, it's going to be up there. So, right. mm-hmm. and like at that point, I had gotten rejected from um, my first choice music school, which was, or my first choice school, which was Berkeley College of Music. I auditioned there. I auditioned to play bass there, and they were like, "Nah." And I'm like, "All right." Um, and that was a very difficult time, uh, <laughs> but yeah. ultimately, it's it's I, it's it's funny just because it's like honestly, like I really feel like, you know, that rejection was everything that I needed. Being sent to Philly instead of Boston, Jesus God, can you imagine if I lived in Boston this whole time? Fuck. I can't imagine what? that for any of us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, holy fuck, I would have not survived. Like, <laughs> like, like, 
So I was like, there was definitely like cosmic intervention there. Like, no, you're not going to Boston. You know, <laughs> you know, there's nothing for you there. It's like, well, being yeah. 18 thought, yo, why Boston? This is the place. This is so good. Back Bay. I can play bass and just play music all day. And I'll, and music will be my homework. And music will be my, hopefully my job. And I'm like looking back on that now and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been like that's like just like the fastest way for me to have like lost my love of music you know what i'm saying so it was like for sure yeah yeah it, it's it, it needed to happen this way it, yeah it is always really weird how how those th- how those things play out right or like in, in retrospect how you could see it as kind of a blessing in a way that you definitely could not at the time like the life that i'm living right now is what i thought i was going to be able to achieve in boston like everything that I'm doing right now is exactly what I wanted to be doing when I was that age, which I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, but <laughs> but <laughs> I guess that all depends on how you feel about it now. Right. That I, feel, yeah. I feel pretty decent about it, you know, but it's just like when you say something like that, good. it's like, uh, <laughs> right. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah, definitely. Like if I can talk to 18 year old Pierce and be like, yo, man, there's so much shit. <laughs> there's so little time. <laughs> Well, while we're talking about uh, like coming to Philly for the community and um, like the opportunities there for playing music, uh, you and I were both interviewed in 2016 for um, Patricia Cotrady's senior thesis. Oh my fucking authenticity. god! I I forgot <laughs> about it too, and then I found it um, when we were getting ready to do this interview. Wow! And you had talked about in it that um, you said DIY is more about people learning skills outside of learning to put on a dope show. <laughs> people can basically learn to become more effective versions of themselves. Damn, I was spitting. information and skills. God damn, I was <laughs> spitting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> you said uh, it's providing information and skills for people who may not be able to otherwise. Like bike repair, workshops on different social issues so people can be informed. Um that's true just as much now as it was then, if not even more so. So I was wondering, like, what your first experiences of intersecting playing music and, and, and like, what you were talking about there, like, people learning skills more than just playing music mm-hmm. were, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. I mean, the, the, the first, I mean, I'm, the, the first experiences, really, like, it just comes down to the most basic element of anything, which is communication. Like that, I feel like learning how to talk to people, learning how to like, you know, make people feel uh, like comfortable and will and like willing to work with you on anything. I learned a whole lot about how to do that shit with DIY. And it was like it became like it's just like it it became like the place where I learned or where, where I was like applying a lot of lessons that I learned from my parents about how to talk to people just and then like moving forward from that like that's really like the first thing like talking like messaging bands on myspace and shit talk like learning like talking about what like what they would need figuring out like how to not sound like a fucking nerd on the internet or like you know what i'm saying like you don't know what the fuck you're doing at all like yeah. sounding like you actually have a clue and then people meet you and they're like damn you're 14 and black and you live in the middle of the woods what is this where are we are we, are we going to die like yo so many times <laughs> so many times like bands would get to like like a place because like places where like the shows were at. Like when I started booking shows in my hometown, it was like once a month at whoever I went to school with who was down to do it, or whoever somebody that I, whoever somebody that I knew 
knew who was down to do it, or whose parents were down to do it. I met so many random kids in my town that I would have never met through like, like doing that shit. And, and it was all just about communicating, like talking to people's parents, being like, yeah, there's about to be a bunch of motherfuckers in your house. <laughs> a bunch of people, like a bunch of people you don't know. And I really suggest, like, here's like here's how I usually do things. You move all the furniture and da-da-da. So, you know, everything's everything's safe. And the parents are like, wow, this is so well organized. And it's like, yes, I'm not an idiot. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't yeah. I don't want to just come up in here and trash your house. That's not really the, that's not really the goal. And then just like when people you know, understand what you're about. They fucking trust you and show That's really like the first skill that I learned that still serves me to this day. You can't like, like so much shit happens. Like, I feel like just off of the way you have conversations, not so much the conversations themselves. People learn who you are through like fucking subtext and shit. And just like the way they, they feel when they're relating to you and shit. So I don't know, like, yeah, I, like that's the. I mean, if we're, if we're talking about the earliest, yeah, I would say the the, first, the earliest experience is just like realizing, damn, like, you know, and this is how this this is how you gotta talk to people, and there's different ways to talk to different people, and just knowing what the, what they're used to and shit, and seeing that shit, it all comes with time and experience. Also, I met yo. So there was this one kid that I met who was like basically like my catalyst into DIY, and it's so funny because he was a dubstep DJ. And like, basically, like that. Like, I didn't really give a fuck about who played what or did what. Like, I was just trying to chill, you know, and, yeah, listen, and, and play music <laughs> and have my little band play with other bands, whatever they sounded like. I really didn't give a shit. Yeah. So this, so uh, like this dude, this dude, this kid, this kid who I also rode the bus with, Max Robinson, um, he was like, you know, like really trying to get into dubstep, and his parents were extremely supportive. And I mean that in terms of financially. He had so, so, so much gear. Like, he had a full, like, like, like a, like a PA setup that you could use in like KFM. You know what I'm saying? Like, that shit was so nice and so clear and so loud. He had subwoofers. He had it all. And he was like a smooth 14 years old, like just learning how to, how to be a dubstep DJ. It certainly paid off for him in the end because he was opening for Corn and Skrillex when the time, by the time he was in his co- freshman year of college. But like, Jesus. Right. Oh, so, <laughs> so like, we just like, his parents were down to let us do shows at his, at their house because like, you know, like that's what, that's what, like that kid needed performing experience, right? And all the, all of his yeah. little friends wanted to come around. And so that was how I learned about like setting up PAs and shit, honestly, and, and like miking and stuff like that was like from this kid's dad. But that's how. But this was also before that I even learned that DIY was a thing. I was still. I just thought that like I, again. I was just trying to chill and like have a fun time and like have something to do <laughs> with music. Um, right. Yeah. And like that, but just like I, I looked up like basically like the term house shows on the internet and found out that it was like this like global thing with a long history behind it and i was like what the fuck and i was like wait a minute this is punk like this is what punk is yeah and like <laughs> and i was like it was just like <laughs> every everything changed <laughs> everything changed from then on i was like oh like okay house shows this is like e- like you know easy like this makes yeah. sense now and, um, like you were doing it before you knew you were doing exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's just, like That was, yeah, those were like, you know, in terms of like early skills and shit. But 
you know, we, we use the term mutual aid now and everything, but like that, I feel like became so easy in terms of like my personal peer group or, you know, I guess in this, in it specifically we're talking about this, we could use the word community. Like, like this is, I feel like it, it, it arises so easily because already we were in the habit of just like being on like Facebook or Instagram. If you need something, just ask and someone probably has it. You know what I mean? I feel like yeah, that's yeah. A, that's been a big. I mean, I don't know. I know that it's not just a thing in Philadelphia because I like follow people from other parts of the city or of, of the country on social media, and it's like it's the same. And like, so it's like, you know, ultimately that that mentality, which is like the same mentality as like each one teach one from hip hop. It's like it all really just boils down to like giving away your knowledge and resources and ability abilities for free when you can like just, just spreading knowledge. You know what I'm saying? And not fucking, you know, everybody likes this word gatekeeping, like not, you know what I'm saying? Not doing that shit. Yeah. What it sounds like to, to me is your experience with this kid, Max is like, he had all of this stuff already because mm-hmm. his parents were supportive mm-hmm. and just like, by you having access to those resources, you were like, I wonder what we could do with these and then found out that this thing already existed. But you might not have even been able to be like, are house shows a thing if you didn't have this friend who like had all of the equipment to make it possible? Exactly. And it's just a, a testament to like how having resources creates the next thing and provides more opportunities for people than just like playing sports or doing drugs in their hometown. Exactly. So I'm going to tell you like, I, like that kid and I, would not have been friends otherwise. Like I, I like saw him and note and like noticed him and knew him like for like forever, like forever. Like, but it wasn't really until like he heard that I had a band and was like, "Would you want to play in my house sometime?" And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> I don't. I don't even know if I like you yet, but <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, but you got a sweet PA setup. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's like. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's funny how things happen like that. And I don't even know if he's still if he's still DJing or anything now. I hope he is. And this is where I put it. Sponsored ad. If I had one. Sorry, lost the happy, but the happy's back. Would you uh, talk a little bit about Beyond the Bars um, and what it is, what it does, and and who it helps? Sure. Uh, Beyond the Bars is. Um, basically like a a web of volunteer musicians and um our and like our our supporters like our board of directors or whatever um who are just like people who are you know versed versed in law to help us stay afloat and people who are working with other youth organizations and basically we just like you know focus on doing uh music lessons for young people in Philadelphia. Typically, like, you know, uh, it's like, we, we try to, we, we focus on, you know, underserved people in the city. So like people, we like, it's been like people whose like families are incarcerated, who have family members who are incarcerated, who have, who have been incarcerated. Um, we also have like an after school program, you know what I'm saying? Just because sometimes the states of uh, the arts programs at the schools in the city are not very good or non-existent so it's basically just like you know anybody who wants to 
get into music in, in any kind of way, like literally, like we're not even going to start talking about theory or anything. It's just like put your hands on these drumsticks, on these drumsticks, like touch this guitar or this piano and just like see what happens. Like that's how we go from there. Like we try to be like very, very basic about it. And um, I don't know, just being like, like what are your, just trying to figure out what people's interests are and seeing if they have, if, if, if they feel like they could have a place in the world of music and that's really all it is. I've been with the organization for about five years now. Um, for the past like few months, my uh, involvement has been pretty limited because of uh, COVID and everything. Like all the schools are closed. I was, I was doing an after school program um, with our founder, um, his name is Matt Kerr. Um, but you know, that had to end. We have a couple um, volunteers right now working on um, video lessons for um, our website, and you can just access for free. What else? We have essentially these like band programs where we're just like we have groups of students who we had met, you know, just in all the different. It's been. I'm gonna say this. It's been. It's the process of being in the organization has been a learning experience as we've gone on. So we've met a lot of different people from a lot of different initiatives that we've linked up with, whether it's YASP, the Youth Art Empowerment Project, or um, like iDay, it's out, out on uh, 53rd and Market or something like that. Just like, like linking up with youth programs there and being like, hey, yo, we exist. If you're trying to play music, hit us up, give us like your little email, you know, whatever. And we and, like, these are the, these are the facilities we link at. You can see if there's one that's close to you and figure out how we can get you there and back safely. And, you know, just, uh, you know, see what you want to do. We have, you know, people on people, we have teachers teaching bass, guitar, drums, keyboard, vocals, um, production, like Ableton and Pro Tools and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, a lot of, of, we have a, I think right now two bands that and I feel like such a jerk because I haven't seen them live yet um, but we have two bands right now um, made up of students one is called um, Retro Imperfections I believe hell yeah and like one of the students in that um, in that band has he also is a teacher sometimes because that's part of what we also want to do is get some of the people who start off as students and they get some skill together, you know, serving as teachers and just trying to trying to like get people as much like knowledge and um, just like experience as a musician as possible. The music industry is so fucking weird and like <laughs> and like it it seems it feels like it changes every season. Because it does, so it's like yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like yeah. like big time. Yeah, so it's like people, you know. There's there's really no rules that are like super super hard and fast with like what you must do. There's just like a whole lot of guidelines and like things that are good to know that you can later end up freaking. You know what I'm saying? And like that's kind of the whole mm -hmm. point, right? So it's like it's it's really just. It's really just, like, a bunch of people who play music trying to get into, like, 
like community centers and stuff so we could just sit down with some kids and play music and jam that's like at, at the at the base of it that's what it is whether we're in a community center or a jail or a classroom it, it's really that's really what it is at its core what's the general age range of of the kids in the program uh between middle school and high school age yeah okay yeah yeah so like when you were talking about how some of the students like maybe start in middle school and yeah. then when they get to high school age maybe they like help teach yeah yeah also just because like teaching a lot of the times then helps you learn more mm-hmm. um so i think that's really cool that that you have the kids who have who have kind of gained some skills then turn around and and teach those. And I can see how too, how sometimes like learning something from someone who is maybe closer to your age um, or or has had a similar life experience can make things stick Absolutely. a little bit more. Absolutely. And just learning from people who look like you also and just like who don't make like the learning environment feel super, super formal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's like that was what I benefited from when I was getting lessons. Like my teacher the person who taught me bass for like seven years was like one of my closest friends also and i was i told him shit that i could never tell my parents you know what i'm saying yeah. like he gave me like life advice that like you it's just like it's like mentorship through music is like worth so so much and it can happen at any age between any two people and it's like it's just, I don't know. It's, it's like, I, I guess I just, I have a lot of strong feelings about it, I guess, just because I feel like I learned a lot about myself from from my teacher, Anthony. And like, he really, <laughs> like, he, he he really like, just, I don't know. I, I owe him a lot. I owe him a whole lot. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, that's really all I got to say. <laughs> and it's just like, I there are many, many people who, who need and deserve somebody in that feeling like filling that role in their in their lives and i feel like i don't know what kind of person i would turn i would have turned out to be like other otherwise i really don't shit is deeply important to me yeah um thinking about the students who start learning in the program and then go to teach in the program kind of reminds me of what you were talking about when you were um, like learning to communicate and like how those students are also like getting that skill set on top of learning how to play music. They're learning how to communicate with other students who are younger than them and teaching them in that way. Yes, and, um, exactly. That's like a really important aspect mm-hmm. of it. Uh, rather, and and when you talk, like, no kid wants to sit in school for two more hours after they were just in school. Exactly, which I think is part of why. You saying that like it's such an informal environment is is more encouraging to the creative learning process for for anybody. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That like those lessons when I was a kid was the best hour of my week. Like, <laughs> like I couldn't not play bass every single day just because I hated school so fucking much. I hated everyone at my school so fucking much, especially when I was in high school. That it was just like. It's just like it's like it's just like being able to just be in my room and try to write the most insane shit I could or whatever, or just like just like or just like listening to music and just zoning the fuck out and wishing I was like doing this shit, make like wishing I knew what it was like to make these records and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. being able to move from the point of just wishing. A lot of people don't get that shit, and I hate it. I hate it so fucking much. Like. 
if there are a lot of people I follow on Instagram who are, you know, just like for, for all intents and purposes, amateur musicians, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and it's just like so, so many people, and, like, so like the percentage of people in that group who are like, who had learned how to play on like trash or like broken shit or like, I, or just like some, the, there's this drummer. I need to look, I need to know her name. I need to remember her name right now because I need to say. I, I think I know exactly who you're talking about. I think, Lauren, are you thinking about I? that that young girl who's like a shredder? Yeah. Oh, wait, are you yeah. are you talking about Nandi Bushel? Yeah, the, the little yeah, baby, yeah. the baby. I love her. Oh my god, I love her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, her. Oh I, my god. Yeah, no. I like. I'm obsessed with her. Yeah, no, she's fire. I also am obsessed with her. Um, <laughs> dude, there's this video that made me cry, ugly grown man tears, with a video of her meeting Lenny Kravitz and jamming, jamming with him. Oh, oh my, god. my god, the tears I cried. <laughs> 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 I, it's like on her Instagram, I think. I I died a thousand deaths watching that video. <laughs> oh but um no, I'm talking about this other this other woman named Trin. And um she's a, a drummer in Chicago who basically started off playing on like like toys and like broken shit and like her couch. And was just like making and just like making videos of herself and like the videos of her like playing on her couch and shit went viral. And basically, Twitter was like, "Can we please buy this woman a drum set? What the fuck?" <laughs> and yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. And basically, like, yeah, bad people just they started donating to her, and she got a drum set, and then she became very lit. <laughs> and, that, and she's like, she's like really nasty at drums, and like her her Instagram is um c dot n c dot d dot n underscore trin with two n's couch drummer nation trin. And she's she's been on like Ellen and shit, but she's really just like fire. And um, I just really admire her because honestly, there was a time where I was also playing drums on couch cushions, wishing I had a drum set. That was just like, again, like it doesn't have to fucking be this way, but it is this way for so, so many people. And, and I, I fucking hate it and I don't want it to be like that because, again, I feel like everybody has a place in the world of music. Excuse me. And also music wouldn't sound the same, which everybody apparently is. That's what everybody says is the problem. It all sounds the same. This song, it all sounds the same. You can't even understand what they're saying. It all sounds the same. Well, maybe if we had different voices and different people being prioritized, it wouldn't feel like that for you. Yeah. Or and maybe, and maybe it wouldn't be so hard for you to try to see nuance in different people and the different things that they're saying. Like that's, but again, that's, what, what the fuck do I know? No, but, like, and the same people who are saying that are the same people who are booking the same people on every single show. Like, mm -hmm. like in listening to the same five bands who look, like, the same as each other and just, like, those are the—anybody who complains that all the music sounds the same only listen to music that sounds that one particular way and, like, are not doing a good enough job finding things that are different and, like, seeking out people who are different than them. Mm-hmm. When people—when this when it was said to me recently— Somebody told me that they didn't think that rap music had been good since the nineteen since nineteen ninety three, and I was just like, "Man, the amount of American history you have to ignore to believe something like that 
Like, <laughs> like, like truly, not, truly. Like not even just world history. Like like really, let's take it down to like um, like the, like your like just the history of the city that you even are living in right now. The amount of shit that you would have to ignore to believe that is unbelievable. Yeah, and it is one thing to be like, "Hey, I literally don't know what has happened," and like. And like seek out information, but it is a whole ass other thing to be like, nah, it just hasn't been good in 25 years. But that's the problem. That is a bold claim. That's the problem. Is <laughs> the problem is that people get to feeling like that because the arts aren't valued, and people don't feel like they yeah. need to value people who play music or make art in general, who or who add their who try to basically express themselves through whatever they do, whatever their craft is. People don't put a value on that because it's not commodifiable, and like. That's fucked up. It's fucked up. And I feel like if, again, if we had different types of people involved in, in, in the production of art, involved in the curation of art, maybe we would have different, maybe this wouldn't feel so, it wouldn't feel so much like that. Maybe people wouldn't fix their mouths to say some bullshit like that so easily. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the people who say things like that could just as easily be advocating to, you know, to, to get other voices involved in music or, or yeah, like Rachel said, like go, go seek it out. Like, don't assume that like just the stuff that, that is being fed to you is all there is. That's, yeah. There's a reason why that stuff is what's being fed to you. Exactly. It kills me. It fucking kills me. People don't, people do no, yeah. effort, do put no effort in and then, and then wonder why they're not, their lives aren't changing. Wonder why their perspectives aren't changing. I'm like, man, fuck you. <laughs> it's, people, it's people who yeah. are more focused on naming a problem than finding a solution. Yeah, it's a great way of putting it. And that's the thing. I feel like I'm pretty fucking good at that, the naming problems. I and mean, I feel like I got to a point where I'm like, well, it's like if it, it would be one thing if I never realized that I was just naming problems and not trying to find uh-huh. solutions. But that, but it's like once you realize it, there's really no way to go back without being an asshole. So <laughs> to just, to just yeah. do that, it's like, like yeah. having that realization, like, man, I talk a whole, whole lot of shit. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. Where, like, where are my, where are my efforts? So I'm like, yeah, you know, but now I can talk even more shit. <laughs> because when you put more effort in, you see more things. It's a never-ending yeah, cycle. Exactly. The more you, yeah, sp- but you can talk all the shit you want if you're actually doing something to try and fix it. Well, see, the other thing is that when you talk, when you're when you're talking, when you're talking shit while also doing something to fix it, what you end up really talking about is just what's going on, and people end up talk and end up treating you like you're talking shit. When again, really, all you're doing is just talking about what the fuck is already happening. Mm-hmm. People don't like to hear the truth. No, and I think I think that um, is. Um, kind of like a symptom or a side effect. I'm not sure which of the overall cultural problem that we have, like as a country where we are all really good at naming problems. We love to complain. We love to talk shit. We like to say this, 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 and this are fucked up, broken on, on every single side. Yep. But like, like you're saying, like when you are working to fix it, people who are in opposition to what the fix is would rather just be like, no, it's just a problem. Like it's just it's just a problem and that's what it is without wanting to put forth the effort to fix it because it inconveniences them. Yeah. Or it, like it fucks with their sense of like self and the way that they've they've related to themselves, but without realizing like I've been having a lot of conversations about 
um, how toxic our individualism is <gasps> here. <laughs> here in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave? Our individualism? <laughs> our personal freedoms? The mm. terrorists hate so much? I know, yes, yes, our freedoms. Our freedoms to decide that we don't want to wear a piece of facial covering if it might prevent other people from dying because we can't breathe as well for five minutes. Our freedoms to have... <laughs> Tons of restaurant options. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even fucking know anymore. Uh, when did you, I guess, first hear about Beyond the Bars? And was all of this that we're talking about, like, trying to be part of the solution, is that kind of what compelled you to start volunteering? I heard about Beyond the Bars through um, a mutual friend, me, me and Matt Kurz. And... Um, it was my friend Ellen and she was just like yo like I think you should meet this guy he has this music program that I think you might be, want to be a part of and I was like okay I don't know just felt like why not like why not look into it at least and then he described it and I'm like that sounds cool and like I don't know I just I just wanted to go into it with an open mind I guess and I didn't really have any I mean like yeah I did just talk a whole lot about being like I talk a lot of shit and shit and like there was all that introspection or whatever but when it came to that moment I was just like just like why not like like, it, like it, it's not anything that I've ever done before and I am nervous, but it's also like, it's still just playing music at the end of the day. And that's really all it is. So how hard could it be? Yeah. It's the thing that I do all the time anyway. So <laughs> it's like, like what it's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't even really feel like work. It's not work. I mean, I guess it is, but you know, it's like work. Just, just it, depends on your definition of work. Right. Like I look at like being a bike courier is work. Like, I actually don't like doing that. I don't like exercising. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's basically what I'm doing is exercising my way around the city every fucking day and night for money. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, but it's just like, yeah, for this shit, it doesn't, it, yeah, it, don't, it doesn't feel like, I don't know, it like work. So I was just like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, has your involvement in that organization, uh, like, how has that grown over the years? Because you've been involved for, like, four years? Five years, at this point. yeah. That Five started years? started in 2015, which has been crazy okay. to think about. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, I know. But, um, uh, yeah, I... Uh, how's my involvement? My involvement, I guess, has grown, yeah, because I was, like, a volunteer, and now I am technically on the board of directors. Um even though that really just means I sit there and listen to everybody else talk. But, uh, like, <laughs> I I guess, like, you know, I started off volunteering, like, playing bass with, with kids in um, in uh, PIC, the, the, the jail up in Northeast Philly, one of the jails in Northeast Philly. Um, and then we moved to another jail. Well, no, that's not quite how it happened. I was doing the jail, and then simultaneously I started doing the jail and an after-school program. And then I went to another jail and stopped the first after-school program. Oh, I didn't stop it, but it just ended. Um, and, then I w and then I was in another jail. This was probably, at this point, year three. Um, and then another after-school program popped up. Um, that other volunteers ended up becoming more involved in because it's in West Philly and it's just like a little bit more of a hype for me and they're living in West Philly already. Um, and there were also like, you know, long breaks where I had like massive depressive episodes and shit. Uh, there's like, they, like, you know, you're 
the thing of the the thing that's really nice about Beyond the Bars is that it's never really um it's never really it's like it's just like you never really are like not part of it. Like you can go through like anything in life and like come and just like just when you need time, you need time. And then when you're ready to contribute again, it's right there waiting for you. Um and I feel like that's been really cool because it's definitely allowed not just like, you know, like not just for like my, you know, emotional upheavals, but also like just like whenever I'm traveling and stuff, it's like they're it's very flexible. Um, so there have been gaps, you know, a couple like little periods where I where I wasn't doing anything. Um, but then uh, this was about wow, god damn, this was about a year ago now. When we started the um the first after school program that I was like fully in charge of. And um it was just me and Gigi um, from Soul Glow. Um, and basically we were just playing drums and guitar. And Gigi was getting ready to um, bring in Ableton and start teaching kids that because they were really interested in that. But then some neighborhood stuff was going on um, that was like making our students feel like they couldn't really like travel to and from the area safely. And there kind of wasn't really anything we could do about it. Um, so that program ended, <laughs> um, and like, then I started doing the after school program up at the sky. I can't remember the name of the school right now, but it's up on, um, 12th and Oxford, like, right. It's like right across from, um, the student activity center at Temple. Right. Um, it's that mm-hmm. school. Um, and I was, I was been, I was up in there until COVID. Yeah, that's basically been like my my little trajectory. With the programs being kind of on hold right now for COVID, what are other ways that like people can help support the program? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? To be honest with you, like <laughs> it's like <laughs> I don't want to say there's not a lot that can be done right now, but I would say just like the main thing that we're working on right now is just trying to make ourselves even more available to young people um, and just get it like, just like, becoming more of a presence in the city I guess you know for sure to be real about it especially as more arts and music budgets get cut (laughs) every day (laughs) and into whose pockets are they going it's really interesting to see (laughs) (laughs) and by interesting we mean incredibly terrifying (laughs) man are you fucking kidding me like it's it was really something to me you know what I'm saying um for everybody hits to close down the way that it did and then a few months later, I'm really hearing now and seeing now all these like infographs about where about the way that the city is spending its money. And it's just like it's not but it's like, you know, it's not just the city, though. There are very specific private citizens who are very in, invested, not in so much destroying the arts, but just like buying as much property as they can that it inadvertently destroys whatever life was depending on the, on these structures in the first place, these literal physical structures, these buildings, we need like people need spaces to practice their craft. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I was hiding my drum set in the closet. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. and like what you're we're talking about goes goes to the whole like intent versus impact. So like you know, whatever rich ass property owners who are buying up all of these things to line their own pockets maybe aren't intending to destroy all of the arts 
and, you know, uh, establishments like Everybody Hits, et cetera, in the process. But that doesn't mean that it, they're not responsible because that is the impact of what their actions are. Yeah, no, we're just byproducts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we're, just a fucking, we're just an unfortunate byproduct yeah. of the situation. And, oh, well, I guess it's pretty much where it goes. Like It's like, that's, that's, that's how much people are looking out for the arts and just looking out for, like, culture that they, that they say is so important. Yeah, it's only important when it's not inconvenient for them. Yeah. I mean, but then, yeah, it's like, (laughs) you want to say it's like, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, it feels like, it feels like we're byproducts on one level, but then on another level, you see like a nigga like Joel Friedman, and it's like, how can this be an accident? Sure, a a hospital makes a lot, like, makes, has a lot more of, of an impact and value to a city than like, you know, a uh, converted fucking movie theater into a batting cage. But it's like, ultimately it's just like, you wonder just like, what is going through these people's minds? Would you explain the Joel Friedman thing for anybody who's listening who doesn't know? Joel Friedman is this ugly ass motherfucker who owns the Hahnemann Hospital building and will not sell it because he can't make the money off of it that he wants to. Mm-hmm. And when the hospital... I heard this, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that when the hospital was taken over recently by nurses who literally were just like, we're about to set up in here and start and start trying to treat COVID, yeah. they were yeah. expelled by were. who? The PPD. <laughs> like, yeah. They're literally like setting up a, a, cl- a clinic in an old hospital and then getting forcibly removed from it. No, it must remain because empty. Because <laughs> they didn't, they, because that, an entirely empty hospital means more to these people than than actually being helpful. Yep. Tight. Like that it's building just, is not doing anything right now. No, but it's just like it's a another whole ass hospital. Another proof that cops protect property and not people. Like that's all it is. Yeah. Which is like you know, if po- police were here to serve the public, then they would have protected the nurses and the patients inside the hospital from Joel Friedman. You think? Yeah. But we know better. Um, he doesn't even go here. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in fucking California. Like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> You're ugly. Go away. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> fuck. Um, yeah. uh, how has, like, your work that you have started to do with Beyond the Bars... Um, influence the the music that you're making because i know there's 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 a line in 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 24 um where you say i'm i'm beyond bars or at least outside under the eye of the overseer um (laughs) i don't know if that was like a direct correlation yeah it is is. um what are kind of some other ways that that the work that you've done with that organization has influenced the music that you're making now? Um, I mean, just seeing what young people are capable of and me feeling like I need to step my shit up, for one, uh, <laughs> is definitely yeah. a thing, you know what I'm saying? Uh, like, you know, seeing, like, 16-year-old kids who can freestyle for a half hour about being in jail. Whoa. That is, that That is, like, <laughs> that is, like, uh, that has definitely uh, had not just like um, an emotional effect on me, which it definitely did. Uh, but mm-hmm. it also like makes me wonder, um, you know, just what's possible in music and what, what like 
what I should really be striving for and not just like settling on making something that I, you know, will come to see as average in a year. Uh, like this, that's what's, that's the thing. It's like the older that you get, the more, honestly, you, the more you have to pay attention to the youth, especially if you're like a musician and people don't, nobody agrees with this and it's fucked up because like, it's very, it's various. It's a very simple concept in my mind. They're just showing you what is to come. They're showing you like everything that you've taught them, even when you thought that they weren't looking. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know, just be like knowing, knowing what, what people younger than me care about is very important to me. Knowing what people younger than me need is very important to me. And like, like think like thinking about the similarities of like what my needs were when I was their age and then the differences like that shit is very important to me and has affected like the way that I make music for sure like I definitely think that like the majority of artists that I listen to on like a day-to-day basis are like younger than me and I usually don't even realize it half the time like, there's this rapper that I've been really fucking with lately named Key Glock. He sounds like he's 45 and he's 22 years old. And it, blo- oh my it blows my mind. Like, he, <laughs> like some people <laughs> are, like, so much more grown than me with, like, the shit they've been through. And, like, it, like, and, like ultimately, that's what matters. Like, that's what I'm more interested in than anything. It's just your perspective, regardless of who you are. Like, what do you know that I don't know? And like, so like that to me is like all of the influence on my shit. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's it's like I don't know. It's like an intangible thing that has a very tangible result. Yeah, no that that makes sense. I I feel like I uh, had that same experience of like realizing that an artist that makes music that you love is is younger than you, and uh, it, it is it it is very easy to get a little bit discouraged by that. Um, but I think, I, I think the way that you approach it is, is great and, and ultimately more productive uh, of, you know, kind of admiring these kids and, and, and thinking about the ways that their lived experience is different than yours and how that has influenced their music, um, differently than it has with you. For sure. Like, uh, let me say two things. Number one, did you know that we're the same age as Cardi B? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think about that a lot. (laughs) I think about that a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, whenever people talk about Cardi B and how she acts and everything, I'm just like, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and I always feel a little bit personally attacked. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. I, I would be. I'm acting the same way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I was going to say uh, is that everybody. I feel like you know. I see on Twitter a lot people being like, "I just want to connect. I just wish I. Could, I just want to have a connection with somebody. I just wish I could." Con-. And I'm. I. I don't. I don't get. I don't get that to me like i don't get that like i look i, I don't know I, everybody has a story and has been through some shit that old, that has shaped their perspective and like and like sense of self in a way that you can never predict or understand fully 
So it's mm-hmm. like, because of that, every, I, I've been saying this shit. I, realize, I, I think I have literally said this every single day this week. Like, there is no, there is nothing that any one person has to offer that another person can offer. Nobody can tell your story like you can. Nobody can, t- can do you like you can. But I feel like a lot, a big problem is that a lot of people like don't value themselves in that way. I know I sure haven't and don't feel as though what they have to offer is even worth anything, but nobody can talk about your perspective the way that you can. And because of that, you have something to offer the world that no the fuck body else does. And like, I don't know that like, so when I talk about, when I was talking about like connection, it's just like, I don't understand like not being able to connect to another person. It like, I mean, I can understand like not fucking with somebody, I guess, but like even, I just feel like even so there is still something to be gained or to be learned, you know what I'm saying? Or just be gleaned from like your experience of another person. And like, I don't know. I just think that like, again, if, if we value the arts more and just like creativity in our everyday lives and our approach to life a lot more, like people would feel, people would feel like they could value themselves in that way a lot more because we would have, like we already have a wealth of different experiences, but they're always being, they're always, the attempt to homogenize them and make them into this like universal catch all story of humanity is fucking bullshit. Like everybody, every single person is different. Mm-hmm. Like that's like that's obviously like the real fucking truth. And like there's goddamn six billion voices and, and like sets of stories put together. Even if it's even if it's like the same story, it's in different fucking orders and shit, in different contexts and different times and places. It's never gonna be the same. So like how the fuck <laughs> how the fuck is it so hard to connect when that's when that is the obvious truth? I can't even remember what we were talking about yeah. before, but I, just, <laughs> but I think like that, that, um, that mentality of like, oh, I just want to connect and I feel like I can't connect. I think a lot of that is a product of, of our generation and the way that we grew up with the internet and like online blogging and Tumblr and Twitter and like people getting so comfortable putting their feelings in a public diary mm-hmm. rather than just like straight up talking to another human being about what they're experiencing. It's like, if your instinct is to say, is to tweet out into the void or or what you feel like is the public void, I just want to connect rather than just like calling up your buddy and saying, hey, I want to connect or like, let's (laughs) talk. It's like you're, you're actively distancing yourself from that goal because you're taking no real responsibility in in achieving it. You're like saying, I want to connect and then you are putting that responsibility on somebody else to like that tweet or reply to you or call you when like you have just as much responsibility to say, Hey, like I, I want to connect. Like I want to talk. I want to learn about what you're going through. Like, how are you just like any of that shit? For real. Well, that even goes back to what we were saying earlier about like complaining versus actually doing something. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 it's very, very easy to just tweet out what you feel like the problems yeah, are without actually like, like taking the very easy step of, of actually trying to connect mm-hmm. like, versus just complaining about how you can't do it. Yeah, exactly. 
it's interesting like hearing you say this as I'm like looking at my toenails and realizing <laughs> <laughs> realizing a connection needs to happen with them as well very soon. <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps a disconnection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was having the same the same feeling with my fingernails the past two days Yo. and like kind of this morning. So I like see you. <laughs> no. Everybody who's listening to this podcast right now, if your nails are too long at the end of this shit, clip them shits, all right? Wash your face. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna your do hair. that to my to my fingernails as soon as we're done here. Same. It's, same. it's getting dire. Same. And like picking at the same hangnail. That's like you could just like cut that off and like stop fooling yourself. That's what I'm saying. I want this pain like, to end for y'all. <laughs> like it's it doesn't have to be this way. Today is a new day. Clip your toenails. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Do you have any sort of concrete visions of how? you kind of view the work you do with Beyond the Vars uh, going forward um, in conjunction with playing music? Or like, is there a specific trajectory that you see for the work that you're doing into, you know, going forward into the future? Um, I really would like to always be involved in like the lesson aspect, like the like the straight up volunteer part. Like that's just like my favorite part, honestly. And like the more that I learn, and, like, the more, like, lit that I become, obviously, like, I want to be able to, like, really still be able to talk one-on-one to people and be, like, this is how you become lit. Like, <laughs> like I really, like, want to... I feel like that's, you know, there are a lot of people who say that or whatever, but it's, like, I don't know. It's, I feel like it's easier to mean it when you, when you start. <laughs> We've already started, I guess. Um, I look at it like any dollar that I make off of like any like real dollars that I make off of music, like Beyond the Bars is definitely going to need to see some of that because like, I mean, for one, it's just like, it's, I mean, I believe that their, their continued existence is like instrumental to like the continued growth of like arts and culture in the city. Like, they're, like sure, like a kid can get a laptop if they work long enough hours at some place and shit and then they can download Ableton and just go on YouTube and shit but again you're not getting like any real mentorship through that which is cool like if you want to if you're the type of person to just do shit on your own like there are people like that and that's fine but ultimately it's just like I just want the resources to be there I just want as many resources to be there and I just want it I'd like to be as responsible as possible for resources being in the hands of, of vulnerable people um, cause like if I'm like, if I have more and more resources coming my way and I'm just like not doing shit with them, then I'm failing myself and everyone around me. It's actually like interesting. Cause I'm thinking about, um, we, the other day interviewed Nicole Maroulis, who has an organization called No More Dysphoria, which helps trans people pay for different aspects of their transition. And they also have a band called Hit Like a Girl. And and one of the things that they were talking about was like, if you have any sort of platform or like any any kind of resources and you're not using that platform or those resources to do good, then what's the point? Yeah. But I also want to say that like, not everything happens in front of our eyes. And... I feel like there's a lot of judgment gets passed on people who do things quietly. And I really think that there is 
a lot that can be said for doing things quietly. That's true too. I mean, not yeah. every it's well, and that that comes down to like virtue signaling sometimes too, right? Like you're doing something because you need other people to know that you're you're doing something. That's what you're sort of talking about, right? Yeah, I can't really imagine myself making a music video per se where I like go around giving people money and have them like hugging me and shit. And then my song oh, is playing no. in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, like, yeah. I like felt gross hearing you say that. <laughs> but then there are some people in this world who will do something like that. And then they also have to, they also happen to be Scorpios and then you have to answer for that. Uh, <laughs> Them We're not so gonna much. get into the whole Scorpio thing because Scorpios have a lot to answer to <laughs> for me. So. Yeah. You're not perfect. That's right. We're not perfect. <laughs> not about to say. Not about to sit here and lie. <laughs> We're not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't fuck with Drake though. <laughs> I've been not fucking with Drake, and I'm you know tired of this shit. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's a good point for, for me to ask this last question that we have, um, where in, in the solo song 22, you quote, now I'm a jerk and everybody loves me. Um, <laughs> Once and for all. <laughs> and, and I remember hearing that song for the first time, like when y'all played Union Transfer and I immediately was like, did did he take that from Spongebob? I absolutely did. <laughs> and you did. I absolutely did. And, I'll, and I do it again. <laughs> Every time. Well, you uh, you said in an interview that SpongeBob's one of your top five fictional characters. 100%. So I just wanted to know what you like so much about SpongeBob. As as big fans of SpongeBob here at More Talk Less Rock, yeah. like this is a safe SpongeBob space. Yeah, I mean, of course. SpongeBob SquarePants is one of the most important cartoon characters of our time. Like he's like that show is I would say easily the most popular show of the 21st century. I don't care mm-hmm. what anybody says. Like, you That's can true. Game of Thrones me all you want, but I don't give a fuck. Game of Thrones is not more popular no. than Spongebob. I don't... Like, I, I and will Spongebob has had a ra- way greater impact on the culture than Game of Thrones has. Thank you. A thousand percent. Does Game of Thrones have an episode about gentrification? I don't think so. I know. <laughs> fuck out of my face. Whoa. I just saw that, like, time lapse of, like, of Spongebob in that... Com- or not Spongebob, of Squidward in that community, like, going through his shit-ass life. Oh, there is that episode, but they actually have another episode that's, like, it's called Sold, and it's like a it's like a later season episode, and that oh, shit is really about gentrification, like oh. like like bold facedly. Like y'all you y'all gotta watch that shit. It is amazing. Yeah, yeah. it is amazing. Um, yeah, okay. like yeah. I mean, yeah, it's one of the most important stories of our time, in my opinion. Like SpongeBob is like you know a gay icon. Like what? Like what else? It's like, true. Like really? Like what else? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah every like every child in america has owned something with spongebob on it i don't i i don't care to hear an argument like <laughs> like yeah. it's been it's been translated into how many languages yeah like you i don't i refuse to believe there is a place you can go in this world and be like spongebob and, and have people be like what like <laughs> yeah well, let's do like like me and my brothers still like quote SpongeBob to each other when we're together. That's right. And like that's a way that we bond with each other. That's right. Because like outside of like we don't have a, a ton of common with each other in terms of lifestyle, but like that was a thing that was important to all of us growing up, and like we still 
will like pull that shit out. Mm-hmm. Spons- yeah. I feel like you could walk into any room and be like, is mayonnaise an instrument? Mm-hmm. And somebody would know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Exactly. SpongeBob. People do talk loud when they want to act smart. Right. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> we should just take this whole thing and put it over here. <laughs> like the fact that SpongeBob memes have always been relevant. Yeah. 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 The fact yeah. that it was out here jokingly teaching us about communism and anarchism. Like <laughs> Yeah. Fuck out of here. <laughs> like one of the main characters is a greedy businessman who will sacrifice mm-hmm. anything and anyone his own family for a dog? Are you kidding me? Yeah, like, I'm sorry. Spon- it's not subtle. Yeah, it's not. It's- no. SpongeBob, yeah, one of the greatest cartoons. I would say the greatest cartoon of the 21st century. So, like, the most important cartoon of the 21st century, hands down. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care. SpongeBob is, is our Bugs Bunny. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks so much note. for taking the time yeah, no to, to talk to us about Beyond the Bars and, like, your yeah. whole ass life. Yeah, no problem. This is fun. Well, uh, I guess I gotta go to band practice now, actually. <laughs> I'm actually late, but. <laughs> oh, no. I'll be all right. You tell him it's our fault. Yeah, I'll be, yeah. All, right. I'll be all right. But yeah, no, thank you for having me, though. This was great. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, uh, have fun at band practice. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Is there yeah. anything? Any, should I say yeah. anything? Let's talk more. Everybody like and subscribe. <laughs> So, what time is it now? Oh, I'll tell you what time it is. I I, I was hoping that you would because that's why I asked. Oh, it is um eight twelve p.m. It is also time to play tag yourself. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> and um, thanks to peers, uh, we have. A, what I think is going to be a very difficult task today. Do you? Well, yes. Okay. I know I say this every single week that like, you, you know, I, I thought it was obvious at first, but upon <laughs> thinking about it, I, I realized that it was not quite that obvious, but then it, it actually like seems like it's actually pretty obvious. I I'm, I actually thought this was going to be obvious, but I, I'm not so sure right now. Yeah. Um, dear, dear listeners, we are going to choose between SpongeBob Squarepants and Patrick Starr for Lauren and Rachel. And I just do not know who is who. Yeah. So I will tell you that my immediate reaction is you're SpongeBob and I'm Patrick, right? Yeah, that is the immediate guess. But if you actually go back and watch episodes of SpongeBob, Mm -hmm. It is always Patrick that has the idea that's, like, you know, causing the mischief that, like, <laughs> it, like, Spongebob always goes to him and is like, what should I do? And he, like, gives him some bad advice. <laughs> like, hey! Hey! <laughs> <laughs>
not always bad advice, but I feel like more often than not, like SpongeBob actually goes to Patrick for like some sort of like leadership or like someone to like back up whatever he's doing, like more than I remembered. Okay. Um, in a way that leads me to believe that like Patrick is actually in charge of everything. <laughs> Like, behind the scenes in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, though? Like, um, I'm trying to think of, like, a specific specific episode where he does that. Um, Oh, my God. I wombo, you wombo, wombology. Was that literally what you were thinking of? No, I was (laughs) thinking of the one where, um, I think it's, like, the first one that Sandy shows up. And SpongeBob goes to Patrick and is like, uh, I met this girl, and, and she she breathes air, and and Patrick's like, that's just fancy talk, <laughs> and like, and then like teaches him, uh, you know, pinky up and all that, and oh, then he's yes. like, we're just gonna go over there, we're gonna see what this is about, and then he like, and then SpongeBob is like, uh, you know, I can't do it, and then Patrick's the one that's like, pull yourself together, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like in that sense, you you are Patrick, and I am SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am more We're like, it, prone to quick temper the way that Patrick is too, I will say. Yeah, and like, I feel like I'm more likely to come to you and be like, oh, I like discovered this thing or like thought of this thing. Like, like what's that about? And I feel like you would be more likely to be like, oh yeah, like I'll, I'll tell you about that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of interesting because I feel like you don't come to me for anything. <laughs> Lauren, seek out anything from me? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) And not like specifically me, anybody. It's not personal. It's business. But like, (laughs) yeah. I well, maybe like, maybe that's the wrong way to put it. I think like maybe I I have am the one who more has a tendency to be like confused or undecisive or like not quite sure how I feel about a situation. And I think you are more likely to be more in tune with, like, what's going on. Okay. Um, Whether it's true or not. Whether, yeah. Well, because, like, because that's the thing is that, like, oftentimes Patrick is wrong. Sometimes he's right, but oftentimes he's wrong. And I feel like it doesn't really have much to, like, I, I don't think him being right or wrong really has as much to do with it as just, like, picking a side and like making a decision and having confidence in that decision, whether gotcha. it's the right one or the wrong one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you feel about that? That expert no, that's analysis. Fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is. So this is like, all, tag yourself is a no shade zone. <laughs> no, I, I highly disagree. It can be a shade zone. We can just accept the shade. Like it's not, you just like can't stand in it. If you, you know, like if you're not ready. Um, yeah. That's fair. And uh, (laughs) what I think is interesting, when it comes down to, like, tag yourselves as a whole, I think there is a tendency um, for the automatic assumption for both of us is that I am the quote-unquote lead character and you are the quote-unquote sidekick character. And so, like, when it comes to SpongeBob Patrick, it would be more easily assumed that I would be SpongeBob and you would be Patrick because those are normal like dominant subordinate roles 
uh, right. to be very black and white about it with no nuance at all. Um, yeah. But, like, just because something is centered around a character and name doesn't mean that that's, like, what you should go on as far as picking, you know? It's like, I don't want to spoil a future tag yourself, but there's one that I have in mind where, it, like, you would <laughs> definitely be the protagonist and I would be the best friend. Right. And we'll bleep this out, but it's... I, I literally knew. I fucking knew it. I fucking knew it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, uh, and that just like makes so much more sense, you know? Um, yeah. Because it's not yeah. like, just because I have a more like foot forward personality mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I am in charge all the time. You know, or like spotlighted all the time. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's what I'm trying to get at. Is that like yeah, like maybe not in charge, but the person most likely to like be able to put that first foot forward. Yeah, and like uh, have some sort of concrete idea of like where you're going. Yeah, SpongeBob is a little more timid, mm -hmm. but on the other hand. The spongebob.fandom.com says Patrick's personality is similar to Spongebob's, but they are not interchangeable as Spongebob is a lot more intelligent, responsible, optimistic, mannerly, and down-to-earth than Patrick. His dim-wittedness often annoys Spongebob and causes him a lot of inconveniences. <laughs> well, in that sense, I feel like I am Patrick and you are Spongebob. No, 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 no. I think that, that's kind of a wash there. It's like... Yeah. On both sides. Yeah, that too. Um, I don't think I have a counter-argument. <laughs> you know? Uh, Spongebob is a lot more passive. He's, like, passive in a way that, like, he just wants, like, to do the good, right thing all the time. And um, doesn't mm -hmm. want to get involved in conflict. And uh, he's not even mean to people who are mean to him. Yeah. Whereas I will be mean I to think, people who are mean to me. <laughs> yeah. I think um, that thing that you said about avoiding conflict resonates with me personally. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Um, All of those things that I was saying about him are, I meant as, as a way that SpongeBob relates to you. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go with that. I don't know that I have any other arguments to make. Wow. I think this is the first time that we have come to a conclusion against our first instincts. Perhaps. Yeah. In my memory. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm SpongeBob. You're Patrick. That's what we're deciding on. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck Great. It. All right. We did it. <laughs> if you have any suggestions for future tag yourselves, as always, shoot us an email. MoreTalkLessRock at gmail.com. And I think that's it. So before we end this week's episode, we're going to do some rock-ons. This week, uh, I am going to rock on a musical. It is called Les Miserables. Mm. It is my favorite musical or, or one of my favorite musicals. Um, I just watched the movie that came out in 2012 again the other day. Um, and it's not great, but... <laughs> This is not about that movie. This is just about the musical in general, which is amazing and incredible. And uh, is, I feel like apropos to the times, 
It's about revolution. It's about anti-capitalism. There's a love story in there as well, but who really cares about that? It's about redemption. Ooh. It's about fighting for what you believe in and dying for those beliefs if it comes down to it. I just think it's a great story and the songs are incredible and musicals are great. And uh, yeah, rock on Les Mis. Hell yeah. Uh, my, my rock on for this week, completely on theme, is specifically the uh, Krusty Krab training video episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. Um, I remember... <laughs> okay, the like, best one, right? The best one, yeah. I remember being a kid and like waiting for that episode to come on. Like hoping when you had to just like... you couldn't on-demand anything, just like hoping that would be the episode that would play. And it never really played, but it was so good. People order our patties is like forever ingrained in every millennial that walks the earth, I feel. (laughs) And it's just, uh, it's iconic. A really, like a whole ass episode dedicated as a fake training video for a fast food restaurant for a TV show for kids that takes place underwater. Like, there are just so many layers to that shit that it's ugh, yeah. mind-blowing. Like, yeah. I just... So so rock on to the Krusty Krab training video. I feel like that episode and the um, the Bubble Bowl episode... The Bubble Bowl. ...were always my favorites. Schoolium yeah. Fancy Son. That bitch. <laughs> that bitch. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of More Talk, Less Rock. We love making the show, and we're really happy to be doing all of the things that that uh, turn it from just ideas in our brain to words in your ears. So thanks for taking the time to, to, to acknowledge our effort. I'm Lauren. And I'm Rachel. And, and we're, we're just, just happy, happy to be, be here. here. Okay, we're good. Never mind. I thought I thought Pro Tools was doing a weird thing, but I think it's okay. Um <laughs> Cool. <laughs> Just a Chris in the podcast. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> No, this is that good B-roll. Like, I hear some like nice water bubbling sounds. What could that be? So it's a it's a creek that I just had installed. Going yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a you're just recording just like some, some little, like some mindfulness of, accessories in your room. B-roll of a babbling brook. Yeah, that's all that is. <laughs> yeah, However, no you need your peace of mind. Like no sweat. <laughs> I mean, it reminds me of the back my backyard as a, as a boy. <laughs> <laughs>